Hello and welcome to another episode of HCI's Regulation, Quality and Safety of Care podcast. My name is Rosemary Pollard. I'm the Marketing Executive at HCI. I'm joined today by Pamela Fagan. Today, we will be discussing incident reviews within the health and social care sectors, what they are, why they are necessary and what trends commonly emerge across the reviews. So Pamela, can you start by providing us with an understanding of what under the regulation here in Ireland constitutes a serious incident? Thanks, Rosemary. And um, it's it's a really interesting time to be talking about serious incidents and reviews and incidences in general. We're fortunate in Ireland there's been quite a number of very useful documents produced and published over the last couple of years um, that, that lay out really a lot of information about incidences and serious incident reviews in general. The one that we go to quite extensively is the HSE Incident Management Framework. And it really gives a very good overview as to what should be considered an incident and a serious incident and and how to manage any of these situations. It's very practical. And um, in addition to that, there's been a number of other ones that that we look towards. I mean, HICWA and the Mental Health Commission produced national standards for the conduct of patient safety reviews in 2017, which it's always important to, to be cognizant of as well. When we talk about incidences specifically, the HSE Incident Management Framework has defined what an incident is. And it's something that the definition that they have is, is quite similar to what we would have been used to over the last number of years. They've called it an event or circumstance which could have or did lead to unintended and or unnecessary harm. And they have a lot more description about what exactly that means, but it's not surprising in, in terms of that that's the definition that they've gone for. I suppose when you, when you ask and you ask what constitutes a serious incident, they define that as any incident that would meet that definition, but that also results in a rating of major or extreme. So what they're asking us to do is, when there is an incident, to rate it using the HSE impact table. And if it falls into the category of major or extreme, then it's something that they consider to be a serious incident. So just for anyone who's not as familiar with it, the HSE have a, have a, have a framework whereby it's a risk matrix and they have a table, an impact table that, that uh, is scored um, on a five rating scale from negligible up to extreme. And the two highest categories that an incident can fall into from an impact perspective are major or extreme. And when an incident is considered to fall into those categories, then it's something that that is a serious incident. Now, the document talks also and the framework talks also about making sure that we're we're making the right decision on it. We would find that when something's a serious incident, that's a very good definition of it. But we also find that sometimes people are interested in doing serious incident reviews, not just because purely they fall into those categories, but really because it's something that they just want to look into in a little bit more detail. Okay, and as you mentioned, Pamela, there can be other things that arise that trigger people to look at an investigation or review. Could you give us some examples of this? One of the most common things that we've found is where maybe an issue or an incident happened and it was it was reasonably serious. Um, a full investigation may not have happened at the time. But for example, family members or the person who's involved never really felt satisfied that they had all the information about it. And in some cases, we're finding that organisations are actually working with people to have a look at these areas and to give some reassurance to service users and to provide them with some answers if things happen that they weren't overly, overly clear on at the time. So the HSC framework mentions the idea of having a serious incident management team, part of their role being deciding on what type of review is required. 
Could you elaborate on this, Pamela? This is just something that's very important to people to bear in mind when they're looking at incidences and they're looking at reviews. The framework provides a lot of information about different types of reviews that can be undertaken, like a concise review or like a look back review or where it needs a formal review investigation. And really what it's saying is if you have a large organization or somewhere that would that would have something like a, a serious incident management team, which is a SIMT, it's about getting your key people together to make the decision about what that review should actually be. So I suppose if there's any of the take home points from this, it's really if you think you have a serious incident within your organization, but you're not sure to look at it with the key leadership and actually really decide, are we definitely sure that we're doing the right type of investigation here before you start? Because there's nothing worse than getting a little bit further down the line and realizing that you should have taken a different, a different approach. I imagine the serious incident reviews are often very sensitive investigations. Can you describe the various stages in conducting a serious incident review and offer some guidance on how to ensure the rights of all parties involved are respected throughout the review process? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, everybody goes to work in the morning hoping that that they're going, going to give wanting to give their best for the day and hoping for very good outcomes. And when serious incidences occur, it's very difficult on everybody who's involved. We've found in terms of the, the sensitivity of it is that and, and it's particularly you know, it's, it's happening a lot in practice these days. It's all about the culture that's in the organization before the incident occurs that actually has a good impact on it as well. And that, that's something that really helps in terms of the stages that are involved. Well, there's very core stages in terms of how to undertake it. What we would always suggest, and, and is something that we that we spend a lot of time on, is before launching into the investigation to take a bit of time to step back and actually plan out exactly how it's going to work. Um, you need to identify, first of all, the senior people in the organisation that you're going to work with. Who are the management team members? Who are the leaders that you're going to be linking with to make sure that you're getting access to everything that you need to in terms of being able to undertake a review and who is going to be taking the findings at the end of it and actually acting on those. Um, in terms of undertaking the review and the stages of the review itself, it's important to start off with the documentation review. That's normally one of the first key stages of it to have a look and say, well, based on all the documentation that would be relevant. And again, this depends totally on the incident, but it might include service user records. It might include minutes of meetings. It might include statements that have been made. It might include um, training records, policies and procedures, incident reports, preliminary screening reports, whatever it might be involved in it in terms of, of um, the documentation and to have a look at the documentation and to say even if we're looking purely at the documentation can we get an understanding of what actually happened within this particular incident the second part of it is to undertake interviews so to interview the staff who are involved to offer the facility and, and support service users and families if they will be involved in terms of the interviewing and to get really what you're trying to do with the interview is to get a good understanding of exactly what happened on this occasion within the incident from all of the staff who are involved. And it's important to make sure that you involve all of the staff who may have been involved on it or, or, or um, who were involved in the actual incident when it occurred. The outcome of that then, the documentation, you have the information for the documentation, you have the information for the interviews. And based on that, what you then need to do is develop a chronology. So what we're trying to get to is a factual account of a step-by-step -step what happened within the incident when it actually occurred. Okay, so when you have the chronology drafted, what's next? 
once the chronology is drafted, it's really important to get everybody's input into it to make sure that it's accurate and there hasn't been any information that's been missing from it. So again, this is where we start consulting people and talking to them and asking them to fact check the information that was there. And once we have the chronology defined, it gives us a really clear overview of what actually happened. There's a bit of analysis that's required at that stage because really what you're trying to identify at that point in time is what were the causative factors? And again, this is one of the priorities for when we're looking at serious incidences, is to ensure we're not trying to identify blame for any individuals. We're not trying to pick out on, you know, any, any one or, or team of individuals in terms of what happened. We're really trying to analyse what were the systems and processes that failed on the day and where are the areas that we could introduce things to try and prevent this from happening in the future. So when we know exactly what happened, which is what the chronology is, it's then about looking at and saying, well, can we identify what were the causal factors with relation to this incident? What actually happened that contributed to the incident actually happening? Sometimes we find there were incidental findings or other things, but what were the key things, the key causal factors that actually contributed to this happening? We identify what those factors are and then also develop recommendations. And the recommendations really should be the most useful part of all of it. What can we implement within the organisation to try and prevent or reduce the likelihood of this happening again into the future? The final part of this is the presenting it back to your team. And as I mentioned at the start, that's why it's really important to make sure you have the right management representatives um, engaged at the beginning of it so that you can make sure when you're presenting back the recommendations that they will identify how they're going to get implemented within the organisation. The other piece that I didn't talk about in a huge amount of information there but is also in relation to communication with staff so that if staff and family members uh, have participated in this process that we have clearly identified how they're going to get some feedback in relation to the review and how they're going to get some information about what the findings and the recommendations in the report actually were. Okay, so the interview stage seems to be a critical part of the review process in terms of getting understanding of what actually happened. Given this, could you provide some tips on conducting the interviews with the service users and the staff members? Service user and staff member interviews are, are, are absolutely crucial as part of this. There's only so much you're ever going to glean from the paperwork and that's what's really important about it. I might take the service users first of all and, and, and have a, a quick chat about those. It's yeah. absolutely crucial that service users and their families, if it's, if it's appropriate, are supported to be engaged in the process. Um, when an investigation is being undertaken, that they are aware that it's happening and that they're informed about the details about it. We'd normally do terms of reference that are very specific about it so that they're available if the service users are, are wanted to see those and we always offer those to them to see so they can see exactly what's been undertaken with it. We have found that in a lot of cases, service users and their families may not wish to participate in the interviews. In some cases, it is because they feel that they have already given some feedback in some cases it is because they believe that it's not something they want to engage with at that time because perhaps it might be a little bit distressing for them depending on what the incident might be but in all cases um, it is the role of the project team and of the people who organize it to go over and above in terms of supporting them to be involved should they choose to actually do so. Um, to do this, what we would encourage is that there is a liaison person for the service users to link with, for their families to link with, that their key healthcare professional is also supportive. So if it is somebody, perhaps maybe the service user is somebody 
who receive supports in, for example, a disability service or somewhere along those lines, that their key um, medical professional is aware of the investigation and, and supports them to understand it if it's appropriate. We also find that it's very important to be available to talk to them about what the investigation is, um, to be very clear that it is about a systems review, that it is trying to identify improvements for the future, and that their input can all give hugely valuable information as to how to make those improvements into the future. Where they do wish to be involved, it's very important to give time and consideration to how exactly that will work, making sure they know in advance what kind of things we'll be talking about, that they've received all the documentation, that it's undertaken somewhere that they're comfortable in, so a neutral environment, that they can bring somebody with them to support them if that's what they wish to happen, and that the questions and that the, the discussion is done in a very supportive manner and in a way that they feel comfortable with. Um, uh, what's also key, and I know that we're talking specifically about the interviews here, but just because it, they're, they're, they're so um, important to the whole process, is making sure that we also consider how they're going to be communicated with as the investigation progresses. So, for example, if we tell them that the investigation is going to be done over four months and then, for example, it gets delayed, that they know that it's delayed so that they're not wondering when the report is out or, or when it's going to be. And also that the management of the organisation has a process in place to make sure that they have a way of communicating the findings to people as well in a, in, in a way that, that that's going to be helpful for them to understand. In relation to the staff members, um, again, crucial to, to support them to be involved as much as possible. The the approach um, that's that's to be taken in terms of the staff members, again, it's, it's about supporting and facilitating them. This is a very difficult, this can be a very difficult process for staff to go through. Um, as I said at the beginning, everybody goes to work in the morning wanting to do their best. And when an incident occurs, it, it can be very difficult and very distressing for staff. Um, what we find, again, is being very cognizant of when exactly the incident occurred, if the staff members have been involved in any other interviews prior to this time, if they have already prepared statements to use those statements as well, where it's where it's relevant. So you're using the information that they've already given you. We would be very much encouraging information, again, a liaison with the staff member, but giving them as much information as we can, reassuring them again, this is about systems, it's about trying to identify improvements for the future, making sure that they know what the aim of it is, making sure that they have a copy of the terms of reference and that they have an idea as to how the interview might go. Um, again, it's, it's crucial to do it in an environment that they are that they are comfortable in and really to give it additional time because sometimes people might want to talk at length about the incident and might want to give a lot of information about what was going on that day and some people might find it a bit difficult to talk about so it, it might just take a little bit longer. Really the core is that for getting the most out of the interviews particularly with staff it's to try and make them as comfortable as possible and facilitate their involvement really as, as, as much as possible. And so if an incident does occur, is it fair to say that it's best to seek assistance from an external independent expert to ensure fairness and objectivity for all those involved? Well, we found that it's brought out of benefits. You know, I think that the big advantages of having somebody from outside is that we're not coming with any predisposed thoughts or outcomes in terms of where it is. We're also coming with the benefit of knowing what's happening in the sector as a whole um, and being familiar with the, the, the entire context of it. And, and it really is, is giving that fresh eye to things um, that, that you may not get 
get otherwise. Uh, in some occasions, staff and particularly families are satisfied when it is an external review because they believe it's also bringing that added objectivity. And Pamela, you would be very familiar with many of the healthcare investigations conducted within Ireland and internationally, as well as having been involved in various incident reviews throughout your work at HCI. Could you give us some insight into some of the trends that you often see across these reviews that often lead to serious incidents occurring? Yes, and um, it is, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting time to be looking at this because there are quite a number of them around. We did, we did a piece of work recently at HCI whereby we looked at all of the significant incident reviews that occurred within organisations within Ireland and, and the UK and pulled out some trends on, on that. Um, so I can certainly share some of those with you. Find that there is quite common themes. Um, one of the first, and I suppose the three or four top ones that would jump out at me, first of all, the, the core one that jumps out is in relation to governance. And when I'm talking about governance, it predominantly relates to the oversight in terms of what's actually happening within the organisation. Many of the serious incident reviews over, over the last number of years in Ireland and the UK, there were examples of a fall down in governance in terms of awareness of what was happening on the ground. Um, examples of poor communication staff unsure as to how to communicate um, in terms of oversight um, that the governing body didn't have full information about what was actually happening on the ground be it through qualitative feedback or be it through quantitative feedback KPIs or metrics or whatever else it happened to be and really that governance keeps coming out every time about whether or not we have corporate accountability and local ownership and local ownership being I'm responsible for what's going on in my area and um, um, corporate oversight in terms of oversight of what's actually happening in relation to the organisation. And in many of these, we can see that there was a breakdown between the people who had oversight at the top and what was actually going on on the ground. Uh, one of the things that was particularly interesting to me was in relation to complaints and quite a number of the serious instant reviews that we looked at. Uh, it was evident that the board or the management team or whoever was in charge and, and responsible for running the organisation was aware of the numbers of complaints and was perhaps monitoring the numbers of complaints but didn't necessarily see that there was an issue or see that there was a problem um, because they weren't looking at what the content of the complaints are. And again, it just is one of those small trends that came out for it, that if we are looking at complaints as something that we're using to, to give ourselves an, an, um, an, a determination as to how well the organisation is performing as one of those metrics, always look at the content. We might only have three complaints, but what exactly is it that they're telling us? Because again, one of the trends that you can see from various serious incident reviews is that staff in particular but also service users or families may have been raising issues for some time, but the issues were not getting escalated to where they should have been for something to happen with it. So that by that time the incident actually occurred, maybe issues related to it have been flagged by staff and service users for some time beforehand. So really in terms of listening, um, having effective feedback mechanisms for what are our service users and families telling us about the service? What are our staff telling us about the service and what the feedback there can give such valuable insight into organisations and in, in many cases they're linked retrospectively to when we do serious incident reviews they're things that we can that we can identify from them. Okay and are there any common recommendations or lessons to be learned that you could share with us to help others reduce the risk of serious incidents occurring? 
Yeah, um, we're fortunate at the moment that there's so much that's been published and there's so many instant reviews that are being published and HICWA are doing a tremendous job in terms of publishing reviews that they're doing and the same with the HSE and there's so much sharing of it. It's hard to identify specifics because we have obviously nursing homes, we have hospitals, various different areas. I think that uh, the thing that stands out the most is that we have become very good at identifying incidences and we have become very good at figuring out when we need to do incident reviews. And we're getting very good at doing incident reviews in general and looking at it and saying, well, what were the causative factors? The part that we're still not really as great at is actually implementing the recommendations and learning from other serious incident reviews where they went. So there's so much information out there about when things went wrong and what we could do in the future to try and improve it, but we're just not taking up those reports and looking at it and saying, is there anything from this investigation that I can learn from my organisation to improve to to minimise the likelihood of it happening here. There have been a number of, of talks, has been written in a couple of reports about how we're starting to see patterns re-emerge now when we do a serious incident review. So really, overall, as a health service, particularly individual organisations, the big focus now should be looking to say, we have all the other structures and systems in place. How can we start identifying which recommendations and learnings are relevant for us and how can we go about making sure that we actually implement those to prevent something similar from happening in our organisation? And so just finally then, Pamela, if there was someone listening to the podcast who feels their organisation has been impacted by a serious incident, uh, what advice would you give them now in terms of next steps or proceeding to investigate the incident? First thing is to make sure that it's documented clearly in terms of an incident report. It's always very important to get as much information documented as you can. The second thing is to make sure that we have the right management aware of what's going on. Um, if it's something that hasn't been escalated up to senior management, be that the managing and the clinical elements of it, to certainly escalate and make sure that they're aware of it. At that stage, their management team should be convening to actually review it and have a look from at that stage. We would recommend looking at the framework from it. Obviously, HCI is always here to provide any support that we can. And if anyone has any queries about a serious incident or undertaking the review, to feel free to, to, to get in contact with us to discuss about it. But certainly Certainly, if it's, it's a situation that their organisation has been impacted by a serious incident, we discuss it at the highest level of management and review it in line with the HSE framework. Because if an incident review is required, it's really something that you want to start sooner rather than later. Okay, and thank you, Pamela, for joining us today and sharing your valuable insights into incident reviews. If anyone would like any further information, please contact HCI. Thank you. Thank you.